Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It all sounded perfectly charming at first, sort of like a Norman Rockwell painting, for us to take our first ever family vacation up to a quaint little fishing cottage in Grand Marais, Minnesota, just a stone's throw from Lake Superior and the Canadian border. But in reality, the harrowing ride that began in Friendship, Wisconsin back in 1969 when I was just six years old started off with me clinging to the back of the front row bucket seat, dodging sparks and ashes from the Pall Mall unfiltered cigarettes that all the adults were smoking in the front. All the windows were rolled down. It was a hot, hot day. And there I am clenching the chair and clinging my buttocks into the rear seat cushion for fear of sliding backwards onto my grandmother's nub of her amputated leg, which was the small space I was allotted to sit in. It was a rite of passage for my older brothers and I because we never got to travel anywhere with my parents. My dad and mom married very early. My dad was 21. My mom was still in high school. And within four years of being married, they had three small boys to take care of. My oldest brother, Danny, my middle brother, Randy, and me, the baby, Robbie. Dad was a very, very hard worker, uh, both at his full-time job at the paper mill and on our family farm. And my mom, for the most part, was a stay-at-home mom although occasionally she would pick up a shift at the tip-top tavern for a little extra spending money around county fair time or when we need winter coats and shoes. The rest of the time she was stuck at home with the three boys. So when the opportunity was presented to my dad by one of his mill buddies to take his family on a vacation free of charge up to his quaint fishing cottage, we leapt at the opportunity. Of course, soon the news spread spread to my grandparents, who then had to share it with my Uncle Butch because he still lived at home. So our fun family vacation with just mom and dad and the three boys had three full-size adults added to the equation. So that was not the least of it. We also had to pack in fishing poles, life jackets, a food cooler, a couple of cases of Schlitz beer, all of our clothes, and Dad had already planned on strapping his 16-foot rowboat on the top of our 1957 Chevy Impala. Yeah. The adventure was ready to begin. So now you see uh, why I was clutching and clinging. I'd never seen a clown car before, but I can only imagine that the exercise that we had to go through to get everybody and everything in that car had to have looked like a combination of a clown car and a Chinese fire drill. We decided that the three adult men should sit in the front row bucket seat because they all knew how to read a map. <laughs> the problem was we had to fit five people in the back seat and it was only designed for three. So for safety reasons, 
Mom and Grandma anchored the back doors, and my brothers and I jockeyed for positions in the center. Fortunately, I was the littlest one, so I got the spot next to Grandmother, who unfortunately, because of a farming accident, was an above-the-knee amputee, so I rode in the void of the nub (laughs) while her wooden leg rode comfortably in the trunk. (laughs) More clinging more clenching, and I kept my focus straight ahead because I'd never seen what the remainder of that leg looked like with the wooden part missing. And I dared not look down at the ground because it kind of creeped me out that there was still a little matching bobby sock and saddle shoe on the leg that remained intact. Away we went on our big 500-mile adventure down the back roads to take in all of the scenic beauty that Wisconsin had to offer. Our first planned stop was at the halfway point in Hurley, Wisconsin, at a scenic little rustic wayside rest stop for a little bathroom break and a picnic. If you've never experienced a toilet at a rustic wayside bathroom from the 1960s, Imagine a culvert slammed into a concrete slab over a hole with a toilet seat welded on the top. This particular version was a little too tall for me, so I had to wait for my mom. She came and picked me up and hoisted me up on my throne, and it was a little better view from up there. But I remember looking down and seeing things growing in places that they shouldn't be growing. So I asked my mom exactly what I was looking at, and she said, well, those are just little brown mushrooms. (laughs) To this day, you could offer me a million dollars, and I would not be able to eat a single mushroom. (laughs) Back in the car to continue on our way, and within about 10 miles of being on the road again, my dad noticed that there was a stranded vehicle on the side of the road with a hood up and smoke pouring out. And in typical Stanley Warren fashion, he had to stop and help. Dad jumped out quickly and sprung into action, took off his brand new white t-shirt and smothered the flames that were coming out of the carburetor. The kid was very appreciative and thanked my dad profusely and then asked him if he could possibly give him a ride to town so he could call for help. Apparently, in all of the excitement of his car being on fire, he neglected to look in our vehicle and see that it was already overloaded with humans. But we obliged anyway, and we squeezed one more person into the clown car. We eventually made it to the cottage, which essentially was a glorified chicken coop with droppings all over the floor and actual chicken wire holding the insulation in place on the walls and the ceiling. Two small windows to either side of the front door and a single light bulb hanging in the middle of the room. And the kitchenette was a card table with an electric hot plate on it. (laughs) Fortunately, there were two full-size beds in the back, sort of curtained off, and two sets of bunk beds. So there was just enough to accommodate us all. The restroom facility, a.k.a. an outhouse, even more rustic than the one by the wayside, was about 100 yards across the field. 
To our north was the farmer and his lovely wife of 70 years that owned the adjacent property. Well, Otis and his wife came down to greet us and also to warn us not to leave any food out because apparently the bear population was really prolific due to the fact that 100 yards south of our cottage, there was a landfill and the bears liked to come out at night and forage for food. Yes. So the next few days were filled with fishing and fishing and more fishing and a few late night games of go fish. <laughs> we also fell into a nice pattern of eating, breakfast, fishing, and then sleeping to the tune of my grandfather's snoring. One night the snoring was interrupted abruptly because my two older brothers decided to go down to the local creek and catch some crayfish to use as live bait for the next day's fishing outing. They put them in a nice styrofoam cooler and put them outside the door on the stoop. Well, apparently in the middle of the night, one of the bears needed a midnight snack. And he came out and ripped that little styrofoam container apart and enjoyed his snacks on the front step of our cottage. Now, mind you, when I was riding in the car, I was in the enviable position of being able to hear all the colorful conversations that dad and grandpa were having in the front seat, as well as the ones that my mom and grandmother were having in the back. Even when my mother whispered to my grandmother, oh shit, I think I forgot my birth control. <laughs> and my grandmother takes a long drag off of her cigarette and repeats the phrase, oh shit while rolling her eyes at my two older brothers that were still fighting over the, who had more inches of the seat. So it was quite the adventure. Um, on the second to the last day, Otis and his wife came down, and they offered to watch the cabin for us while the boys slept so the adults could go into town and have a beer. For an extra layer of protection, my grandmother was kind enough to leave her wooden leg behind, standing in the doorway of the cabin, knowing full well that neither one of my older brothers would have the nerve to touch it. <laughs> I can only imagine how charming that must have looked to see my grandfather carrying my grandmother into the local watering hole and setting her down on the bar stool for a beer. We had a lot of fun, fished a lot, did a lot of things, and on the very last day, my dad came out and announced to my brothers and I, since we had been so good on this trip, we were gonna get an award. We were going to drive across the border into Canada to the Thunder Bay Pancake and Waffle House and get to experience real maple syrup for the first time ever. I remember the view from the restaurant of Lake Superior. It was just spectacular. And the smell of the food and everything, it was about as much as my little six-year-old heart could take. I'd never been to a restaurant before. We didn't eat out, so it was a real thrill. And I remember being mesmerized by the fluffy apron that the waitress wore and her little matching fluffy scarf handkerchief in her pocket. And I got to drink some coffee from my grandmother's cup for the first time. It was amazing. It was more than amazing. So finally, we were wrapping up our breakfast at this maple syrup mecca. 
And my two older brothers peeked around the corner into the bar area of the restaurant, and they noticed that there was a pinball machine, so they begged my dad for a couple of quarters to be able to go and play pinball. Sure enough, he gave them the quarters, and off they went. Within about three minutes, they were back at the table showing off the prizes that they had won. Apparently, it wasn't a pinball machine after all, but an old-fashioned pull-knob cigarette machine, which they played perfectly. (laughs) My dad had to get up and go investigate, and he walked around the corner, and sure enough, he came back and he announced to the table that cigarettes are only 25 cents a pack in Canada. Within seconds, every adult at the table was pulling quarters out of their purses and pockets throwing them on the table and asking Danny and Randy to go win more prizes. (laughs) I had to stay back at the table and count. At some point during the counting process, my mother noticed a little red seal on the bottom of the cigarette pack that said, for sale in Canada only. Would we be able to get them back across the border? The final plot of our adventure was hatched. I was told to get underneath the dinette table while my, mother, my grandmother unhooked her artificial leg. And one by one, the packs of cigarettes were handed to me, and I shoved them down through the soft opening of the top into the hollow core of her wooden leg. We left the restaurant with full bellies and smiles on our faces. I turned around and I noticed that my grandmother wasn't keeping up with the rest of them. (laughs) Apparently all that loot in her hollowed out leg was weighting her down and her normal little hip swivel walk wasn't working. So she had to revert to another method which was more of a drag and pull with her left hand And as she noticed the waitress looking at her, she just holds up her purse and smiles. We finally get outside the restaurant and we all burst into hysterical laughter for about 10 minutes. Then it was time to get back in the car and head home. We all got in, grandpa did his duty, put the leg in the trunk one more time, and away we went. We did get stopped at the Canadian border And the gentleman asked my dad to get out and open the truck, which he was more than happy to do, knowing full well that the contraband was concealed perfectly. He pops the trunk, and this ranger with his big-brimmed hat takes one look at my grandmother's wooden leg laying across the top of our fishing poles and all of our dirty laundry, and he just shakes his head and says, have a safe trip home. So this uh, sort of became a little bit of legend in our family, and we shared this story over and over again um, many, many times. And you probably wonder why I can remember some of these images so vividly when I was only six and a half years old, but it's because this was the first time that I sort of felt like an adult part of the family. And although I didn't know it at the time, it would be the one and only vacation with my two brothers 
because my adorable baby sister, Susan Joy, entered this world on March 27th of 1970, exactly nine months after that trip. I guess my mom needed that birth control after all. So, uh, it was a little bit of legend in our family. We shared it over and over again, this story, at family reunions and picnics. And each time, somebody that would forget a piece of it would share and help the other one out. And it's even more memorable now because half of the adults that were on that trip are no longer with us. And my older brother, the one that played the cigarette machine so perfectly and taught me how to fish and ride a bike and swim across Friendship Pond, sadly is battling a pretty aggressive form of cancer. I drove up to Friendship for Mother's Day a few weeks ago to see Mom, of course, and to hang out at the family farm, but mostly to check in with Danny and see how he was doing and how things were going. And We shared this story and we laughed our asses off over a can of beer, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with him again and again and again. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.